Angie was talking to me recently, and uh, she told me that, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but one of our family members, just in conversation, and made the comment that it, Jesus was so good that it's really hard to relate to him. And so that's what I want to, part of what I want to talk about this morning was the humanity of Jesus. You know, we, we read the Bible and we hear lessons, and we get this idea of Jesus and usually, you know, we think of a really loving, compassionate people. Some people get this idea in their head and neglect everything else, it says, and when subject comes up of hell or something like that, and they'll say things like, oh, I don't believe that a loving God could send someone to hell. Well, it's just that they're only hearing part of the story, part of what they want to hear. And we all do that. And so this morning, I want to help you to think about some things that maybe you've never noticed before. One of the most interesting verses I think that's in the Bible, I mean it's just a little verse and you read it and you think you understand it, and then, but then you stop me thinking, you go, wow, that's, that's pretty profound. And that's found in second, or 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 5. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, or God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And so it's talking about God that's in heaven, and then Jesus, who is our Savior, who's the mediator between us and God. But did you overlook that one little word in there? There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. We think so often about Jesus's deity and in the miracles he performed and the fact that he's in heaven and we pray to him and through him and we forget that he was a man just like us and so this morning i want to talk about that for a few minutes and there, i think there's a lot of just like i think there's a lot of verses that we just read and skim over and don't put any thought into and so i want to take some of these little <coughs> thoughts and, and verses that are in the bible and pull them out and draw your attention to some things um, in Hebrews chapter 4, I, I believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, so I'll say Paul. Paul has been talking about uh, a lot of important things and talking about Jesus. And then in, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the, our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. One of the things that we like to do as humans when things aren't going our way is we like to feel like we're the only ones this has ever happened to. Nobody understands me. And that's just not true. With the billions of the people that have lived, you have not experienced something new or thought something or felt something that thousands and millions of other people haven't already experienced. And what he's saying here about Jesus is he was tempted in everything that you've been tempted. And you think, oh, no. I've, I've thought some really bad thoughts. Jesus has been tempted in the same way. Let's look at, let's look at some verses. In John chapter 4, uh, Oh, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 18. I think that we're entering into Jerusalem at this time. 
Matthew 21 and 18. It says, Now in the morning, talking about Jesus, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. You don't ever think about Jesus being hungry, do you? You think about the miracles, his love, and going into heaven. All these. He was hungry. The Bible says he was hungry. In Matthew, where uh, Satan took Jesus into the wilderness and Jesus fasted for 40 days, the Bible says afterwards he was hungry. Now, if that isn't <laughs> not eating for 40 days, if that's not the biggest understatement, he was hungry. If Jesus was not hungry, then Satan couldn't have tempted him. Jesus was hungry, and you know how you feel when you get hungry. You're weak and you get grouchy and say things you shouldn't say to your wife or your husband. Jesus was hungry. Uh, when Jesus was dying on the cross after, I don't know, 24 hours of being drugged through these, these false trials and through in front of Pilate and being whipped and all this, probably no one had given him anything. To, obviously, no one had given him anything to eat or drink. They didn't care about him. And when he was on the cross, what did he say? I'm thirsty. In John chapter 4, the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, the uh, so the Bible says that uh, Jesus was traveling and he got tired and he, and he sat down and the lady came to draw water from the well and Jesus says, give me water to drink. Jesus got thirsty. He was human. He was every bit as human as you and I are. He got tired. Uh, John chapter 4, the same story. He was traveling and he sat down to rest because he was weary. You know, we think that maybe Jesus was like a superman and had supernatural powers and and just never got tired. The Bible says he was tired. He sat down to rest, just like you and I do. In, John, in Mark chapter 4, they got in a boat, and they were out on the waters. And of course, you know, well, even Lake Texoma, you know, a lot of these lakes don't have bad storms, but uh, those, some of those seas over there are just like oceans. And they were in the middle of a, a terrible storm, and they were getting afraid that all the disciples were getting afraid that what might happen and they went to find Jesus, and you know where Jesus was? He was asleep. In spite of the storm and the rocking of the boat, he was so tired, he was sleeping soundly. He got tired. Jesus got sad. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? John eleven thirty five. 35. What does it say? It says, Jesus wept. Now, now this is right before Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. And so you've got your opinion, and I've got my opinion. And my opinion is that he wasn't sad because Lazarus was dead. I mean, he's fixing to resurrect him. And, and of course, Jesus, seeing the big picture, knows that death's only temporary anyway. He told the thief on the cross just before they died, he said, you'll be with me in paradise today. I don't think Jesus was sad because uh, uh, he was dead. I think Jesus was sad because everyone else was. You know, I go to a funeral, especially a funeral of a, someone that's been a faithful Christian all their life, and, and then they get older and they start having physical infirmities, maybe they have cancer, and, and then they die. Well, I'm happy for them. Their whole life, they've worked to get to heaven. Their whole life, that's been their goal. And then at the end of their life, they're just suffering and, and miserable, and then they die, and they receive their reward. I'm not sad for them. But I go to the funeral. And I see his wife and his kids and his grandkids. And that's when the tears start. 
And I think that's probably what happened here with Jesus. So Jesus got sad. Even, even though, like I said, he saw the big picture and knew that Lazarus was fixing to be resurrected, he still got, he still got sad. Um, let's see here. So they come to him and they say, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And this is after he, it says, uh, or in verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself. Jesus was really upset. Jesus, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave. And so Jesus cried, he groaned. Jesus got upset. Like I said, we think that Jesus was a superman that was just better than you and me and didn't have the hard, you know, hard life like you and I do. He got upset. He got angry. Uh, in John chapter 2, in verse 13, It said, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip out of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the change money changers, the changers' money, and overturned their tables. And he said to those, You take these things away from here, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And I don't know if you ever noticed, but Jesus did this twice. He did this at the beginning of his ministry, and then he did it a second time years later uh, when he went back into Jerusalem before his uh, uh, crucifixion. You can say, well, I don't really think he was mad. Well, for the second time he did it, uh, just for his crucifixion, it says that it might be fulfilled, and it quotes a, a scripture out of uh, Psalms, I believe, and it says, my zeal for you has eaten me up. I think that indicates that that Jesus was upset. He got mad. Now there's another story where it just comes out and says that he got upset. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. No, that's, that's the wrong verse. Let's see here what I've got written down here. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. I think this is where Jesus, uh, they brought the little children to him. Then they brought young children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. Has somebody ever done something and you just kind of just boils up inside you and and you get upset and want to say something. And Jesus did say something. He said, you let those little children come to me. Jesus got upset. There's another time where Jesus uh, was going to heal somebody. And the Bible says that he got angry at the scribes and Pharisees because they didn't want Jesus doing these good works. Here Jesus helped someone. He says that, uh, that Jesus got angry at them. I think that's Matthew chapter 21 or Mark. Jesus, you know, I talked about him being in the ship in the midst of a storm and, and being able to sleep through it. 
Uh, but on the other hand, Jesus, he got scared just like you and me. Mark chapter 14, in verse 33. Verse 32 says, This before his crucifixion. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, You sit here for a while while I pray. And he took his three closest friends, Peter and James and John. It doesn't say his three closest friends. I added that. Took Peter and James and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Luke, in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 22, Luke uses even stronger words. Luke 22, verse 39, And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. This cup was just symbolized, you know, what the things are fixing to happen to me. If it's your will, take all these things away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, you know, I've been really upset a lot of times. I've been really sad. I've... I've uh, been really mad, but I don't think that I can ever say that I was in agony. And Jesus was so bad off that it says his sweat became like great drops of blood. Have you ever been scared? Maybe you have to get up in front of school and, and give a speech. Uh, a policeman pulls you over, whatever, and you start sweating. Jesus was sweating profusely. He was, as we would say today, he was scared to death. Here the Bible says that he was in agony. Mark chapter 10. I say I think that's where the, the, the children, where he was upset at his disciples. On the way to church this morning, Angie's sister's Candy's with us, and she was talking about a man that goes to church in, in, um, in Gunner. And she says, I think he is the sweetest man I have ever known. And she went on to tell some of the the nice things that she witnessed him doing for the older people last night. You know, Jesus could be described as, as, a, as a sweet man. The Bible calls it compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, of course, everywhere Jesus went, people followed him. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were uh, weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And if you look, the Bible uses that phrase several times. One time just before Jesus fed the multitudes with the, the loaves and the fishes, he looked out on them and he had compassion for them. Have you ever looked at somebody, uh, maybe that was sick or... Just whatever. And, and you just, your heart goes out to them. 
constantly. Jesus was looking out on the multitudes and his heart went out to them. He, he had compassion. If we had known Jesus, we'd probably say the same thing about Jesus, that he was uh, the sweetest man we ever knew. And then, even though we talk about it every Sunday, we never stop and think about the fact that just like your parents and maybe some of your kids and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, he died. You would think that Jesus was a superman and that at the end God would just take him up into heaven and, and spare him the pain and the agony and the, the, the fright of death. Just like us. He died. And that was the end. And they took his lifeless body down and they put him in a tomb. Just like you and me. Just like all the funerals that you and I have been to. The person is no longer alive. He's dead. Everything that you and I experience, Jesus experienced. Do you ever think that maybe there was a pretty woman and Jesus was tempted to lust? No, well, I don't think Jesus. The Bible says, in all points, tempted just like you. There's one mediator between man and God, or between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. He lived a life just like you. We look back and we say, Angie and I have been married almost 40 years. Ah, oh, 40 years ago. That's so long ago. I can't even remember 40 years ago. Jesus had memories. He looked back. He had things to look forward to. He Just exactly like your life. All the things you're going to go through today and tomorrow. You know, he's, for the last three years of his life, he was a preacher. For the first 30 years of his life, he was most likely like his dad, a carpenter. Went to work, smashed his finger with a uh, hammer, was tempted to say things he shouldn't say, got tired, got cuts, bruises, had to sell his product, had to go, go to the store and buy food or, or whatever they did, just like us. He was a man. But then, the side we always think about, he was also a god. In Deuteronomy 18 and 15, the, in the Old Testament, the people just, they didn't worship Moses, but I mean, he was their hero. They looked up to him. He was their leader. They'd seen Moses perform countless miracles. And Moses told the people before he died, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him shall you hear. So, all the way since the time of Moses, the people had been looking for this prophet. There are other prophecies about a king, a savior, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, that would come. And they didn't know who he was. Second Peter, Peter's writing his second letter, and he's writing to the people, and he's talking about how we got the Bible, and he says, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit, but there were false prophets among the people also. So how do you tell the difference? Lots of people came. At one point, uh, uh, I think it was Paul, they were leading away. The Jews had caused an uproar and the Romans came and they took Paul and they were fixing to beat him. And it was a conversation between Paul and the centurion. And Paul said something to the guy. He says, are you not that guy that led away all those people into the wilderness or whatever? There were lots of false prophets. How do you know the difference? 
Um, Hebrews chapter 2. I guess in verse 3, Paul says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed us by those that heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So here comes a man to this earth, and he's born. And one of the problems they had with Jesus, just like Moses said, God shall raise a prophet like me from among your brethren. And they said later, you know, when Jesus started doing it, he says, is this not the carpenter's son? Is he not one of us? What makes him so special? Well, what made Jesus special was when God bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts. Remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. How do we know that? We know that you're a teacher come from God because no man can do the things that you do except God be with him. Aha. There's lots of people claiming lots of things, but here comes a man that can do things that no one else can do. Another time later in John chapter uh, uh, 10, Jesus had healed a man, and this John chapter 10 is where Jesus talks about I'm the shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and all this. And there a little bit later after this, uh, there was a division among the Jews because of what Jesus said. And some of the Jews said, why are you listening to him? Said, this guy's crazy. He's got a demon. And the people said, these are not the words of someone that's crazy. The signs that he did and the things that he taught, that should go, aha, that should catch people's attention. Um, John chapter 17, let's see. Now we'll skip that for now. We'll come back to that. uh, Moses said, the Lord your God is going to raise up a prophet like me. Him shall you hear. Hebrews says that God confirmed Jesus' words with the miracles. Let's think about that for a minute. When uh, in the Old Testament, when the, the Jews left Egypt and they were running from the Egyptians and the Egyptians were following to kill them, they came to the Red Sea. And they couldn't get across the Red Sea because there was no bridge. And God parted, or Moses, God through Moses parted the waters and save the people. God had power over nature. Jesus walked on water. He too had power over nature. Moses, when the people were thirsty, he, he brought water through God, through Moses, brought water from a, wa- uh, a rock and gave the people to drink. Jesus took vats of water and turned it to wine. He had power over water too, just like God did in the Old Testament. In the, God made a donkey speak. When Jesus was questioned about paying taxes, I think it was Peter, he said, he said, you go cast your line in the water and you catch a fish and you open that fish's mouth and there's going to be a coin in it. You pay our taxes with that. Jesus had power over nature, just like God did. Uh, when Moses came down from the mountain, you may not remember this. I don't ever hear it talked about, but it's in here. When Moses came down from the mountain after talking to God, his face glowed. And his face glowed so much 
that the people couldn't look at it. And so he wore a veil over his face. Jesus again took Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain and he was transfigured. And his, his clothes became white as snow. He was changed. Just like Moses was changed. When the people got hungry, the Jews, uh, God sent a manna from heaven, which is kind of like loaves of bread maybe. And when they got tired of that, then he sent them quail. We talked about when, Je when Jesus looked out, he saw the people and had compassion on them. And so he fed them with fishes and loaves. Jesus could perform miracles just like God did. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, there was a widow. And she had one son who got sick and died. And Elisha raised this son from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In the Old Testament, Naaman was a leper. God healed Naaman. Jesus healed the ten lepers. So everything that God did in the Old Testament that the Jews saw and believed and was written down, Jesus did similar miracles. Nicodemus says, we know that you're from God because no man can do these things that you do unless God is with them. There were plenty of signs for the people to see if they just wanted to see them. One of the most amazing verses to me is in Acts chapter 4. Uh, I think it was Peter and John had healed the, name of the lame man. There and all the people saw and they were amazed. And so... Uh, I guess it was the Sanhedrin, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we... Cannot deny. Even Jesus' enemies could not deny. And of course here later, you know, Peter and John. Even his enemies couldn't deny these things. It was obvious to everyone. That's what it says. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. That's just an amazing verse. You think you would think if you witnessed that thing that uh, it would just open your eyes. Jesus said... In John chapter 10 and verse 30, I and my Father are one. You go, whoa. Here we've got the Jews, they had these high priests, and they had the Levites and the priesthood, and go every year and offer these sacrifices and everything. And now here's just a man just like us. Be like if Matt stood up and said, I and my Father are one. We go, who do you think you are? That's, it takes something to say that doesn't. Now you could lie, but to say it in all seriousness. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Daniel didn't say that. Moses didn't say that. Ezekiel didn't say that. Hey, you don't find that anywhere in the Bible where anybody said that. But Jesus said that. And then he confirmed that he was the Son of God. In uh, 
Let's go to the book of John. We'll flip around through there real quick. To know Jesus was to know God. In John 14 and verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Uh, In verse 9, to to see Jesus was to see God. Jesus said uh, said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. John 15 and verse 23. He who hates me hates my Father also. John chapter 5 and verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Back in John chapter 12. You know, a lot of people say, uh, or some denominations believe that uh, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, that they were just one person. There's not the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. There's just the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That's not what Jesus was teaching at all. In John chapter 12, verse 47, he says, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. When you heard Jesus speaking, that was just like hearing the voice of God. It was, it was just one and the same. Um, and then, and then uh, oops. Jesus had his authority. Jesus had his authority from God. Those, those verses that we just read said, what the God, God told me to say, that's what I said. That's all that I said. I've, I've told you before that when my kids were little, I'd tell one of them, say, Michael, go tell everyone to come in the house. It's time for, to go to bed. It's time for supper. And he'd go out and come back in. And Michael comes back in. And all the kids are outside. And he said, did you tell them? He goes, yeah. Are they coming? He goes, no. I said, you go back out and you tell him, I said for them to come in and get ready for bed. Michael wasn't speaking of his own authority. Michael was just repeating what dad said, and dad had the authority. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, I don't have any authority of myself. What the Father told me, what the Father sent me to do, that's what I'm doing. We talked about Jesus' transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. He took the three up on the mountain, and he was transfigured. And then Moses, or Abraham and Elijah, I forget who, Moses and Elijah, came and spoke with Jesus. And they were amazed. And there was a voice that came from heaven. God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now God wasn't just telling the people, just listen to what he has to say. God was saying, you listen to what this guy's telling you. This is my son. You do what he says, just like all these other verses that we've been reading. 
Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 15, All things that the Father has are mine. Jesus and God were just like one and the same. You know, Angie and I are married, and it's the same with all of you. It's not my house and my car and my land. It's our house. It's our, our family, our land. Everything that's mine is Angie's. Everything that's Angie's is mine. That's the way God and the Father are. They're the same. Jesus said in John 16, verse 27, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. John 17 and verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I mean, we're just like this. We're one in the same. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one, that's what he was talking about. John chapter 5 and verse 22. We read this, says, For the Father judges no man, but has commanded all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. You can't disrespect Jesus. You can't ignore Jesus. You can't speak bad about Jesus without doing the same thing about the Father. And then, in Mark chapter 14, this is something that's probably escaped your notice. Let's see here. 14 and verse 53. Jesus was before... In verse 53, they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. And it talks about Peter following them at a distance. In uh, verse 55, and the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that's made with hands, and within three days I'll build another without hands. But even then, their testimony didn't agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And he said, so? I'll tell you, so what? When Moses, when God called Moses in the burning bush, and he says, Moses, I want you to go into Israel, I mean, into Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, you let my people go. Moses says, who am I going to say sent me? And God, you tell them, I am. You go, what does that mean? I used to, what does that mean, I am? Well, I'll tell you what that means. My father was. He was born in 1926 and then died in 1986. He was. He is no more. My great-grandkids will be. They're not here yet. But one day, I will have great-grandkids. Whether or not I'm alive, they'll be here. But they're not here right now. God is. He always has been. He is right now. He always will be. There's no beginning. There's no end. He just is. 
Moses says, who did I tell Pharaoh sent me to, to free your, the people? And he says, you tell them I am. In other words, you tell them God sent you. And they ask uh, Jesus there at his trial. He says, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, I am. The Jews, you and I might read that and escape us. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew who I am is. And they said, are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Jesus was saying, I'm God. Oh, that made them mad. Oh, the, the high priest said, what further need? He's blasphemed. What further need do we have witnesses? We can kill him. Just on those two words. We can kill him. And so, going back to 1 Timothy, there's one God, one mediator between men and God, the man, Jesus Christ. On the one hand, he was just like you and me. But on the other hand, he was God. And now I know that a miracle is just something that goes against the laws of nature, like turning water to wine. But you know, it's just almost a miracle. I mean, it's just beyond our comprehension that God, who always has been and always will be, I am, can become just like you and me. The Bible says that he took on flesh. He became a human being. And so in Hebrews says, we don't have, or seeing the, or say, uh, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus said in John, he said, I'll call you my friends. Jesus didn't come to, you know, like in, in Roman mythology, to send lightning bolts down and kill people and make life miserable. Jesus came to make our life good. And he became one of us and he dwelt among us. And he experienced all that we go through. And then he went back up into heaven to become God again. God set Jesus down on the throne. He's the king right now. And in Hebrews, it says us, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find grace to help in time of need. And so I hope that uh, after looking at this, that we will realize just how special Jesus is and how blessed we are for him to be not only our friend, but our Savior. And so this morning we come here to worship Him and to honor Him. In a few minutes we're going to take what's called the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted this just before His death. And He said, you do this in memory of me. And so this morning when we take the Lord's Supper, we'll remember that Jesus was a man, but that He's also God and He's our Savior. He's done so, so very much for us. And we honor Him. We'll now have the next song.